0: Another episode behind the, vinyl, behind the vinyl with Darren and Nicholas. You know, it's like um, it's like it's like plugging the guitar, plug it into the fucking amp, and then go. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it might be a pain in the ass to cut all that stuff around every gig, but hey, at least it works. You know?
1: Yeah. No, I know. I know. And then you know, like the least amount of things to go wrong. Like you got the guitar, the cable, the amp. You know, for years. I would plug straight into my my amp, but back when I had that Cornford amp, that had such a great gain stage in it that I just plugged straight in, and that was the end of it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I miss those days. Um, really, really nice talking to you, man. Really, really nice. Right on, brother. Um, so hey, first before we get into it, I hey, we talked to uh, we talked to Mike Barney only last week actually, and he he was singing your praise.
1: Oh yeah, you know I have. I I was on the phone with him a couple of weeks ago, and we must have been on there for two hours talking about all kinds of stuff. You know, when I was young, I used to call him, at, you know, right around the time I got signed to the label, and we just talked for hours about whatever. You know, music or you know, just to make each other laugh. He's a great guy.
0: He, he yeah, a great guy and, and cool. he, yeah, great a great ear for great ear for guitar players. Yeah. Yep. Um. So we we're, we're here to talk about the album. Um congratulations it's absolutely amazing. Um let's let's touch on that quickly. Um let's touch on that the whole show. But um you you your guys pairing together. Um how did you and Adrian first meet? You know,
1: I met man and my timeline always gets a little off, but it's got to be, you know, 9 years ago somewhere around there. And uh the the full story is uh, one night, my buddy and I, a friend of mine, we're out driving around looking for something to do. And years ago, there used to be a, a place I used to go all the time where all the musicians would hang out. And over the years, it kind of died off and it wasn't you know, what it was. Uh, and that particular night, um, I, I said to my friend, I said, well, let's go to this spot. You know, it's not what it used to be, but maybe, you know, there'll be some people in there we know. So we go in, and uh, my friend started talking to Natalie, who's Adrian's wife. And then uh, I came over, and then we were all talking, and uh, he he mentioned to her I was a musician. And uh, I, uh, my, my friend showed her a video of YouTube on YouTube, something I did. And then she said, Oh yeah, my husband is a, is a musician. His name's Adrian. And he what? plays, he plays an Iron Maiden. And at that point then I was like, Holy shit. Cause you know, I've been a huge Iron Maiden fan my whole life. That was one of my first concerts. And so I said, Oh my God. I said, I'm a massive fan. I said, I, I'd love to meet him. And she said, well, he's coming to town and I'll, I'll, I'll set that up for you. So then we ended up meeting and a friendship evolved, you know, and, you know, turned into a thing where every time they'd come to town, we'd get together. You know, my, my wife is friends with, with Adrian's wife. And it's like this kind of family vibe. And, uh, each holiday season, they'd have like a get together at their LA house. And, uh, some point in the night, there would be like a jam session. So we'd all go into a room. He's got all his guitars in there, amps, drums, PA, and uh, play covers, you know, just mess around. And so this went on for years, you know, just go in and jam, hang out, and there was always something to look forward to around that time of year. And then more, most, more recently, we did it, and uh, somebody suggested that we get together and try and write something. And that's really how it started.
2: I mean what what kind of covers were you uh were you playing when you uh when you met up so to speak
1: Oh well you know we play like Bad Company songs you know uh you know just all that classic stuff you know like uh Free you know All Right Now Old Rod Stewart I'm Losing You um, you know and that, that's kind of how I knew Adrian and I you know had the same taste in music because um, you know he'd start playing a song and you know I'd jump in. Oh yeah, I like that one. I know that one. But it was classic rock, you know stuff. It's Easy Top, you know that sort of thing. So so that's that stuff is like your common ground, so to speak. I think so. You know I I grew up outside of Philadelphia and uh, I grew up obviously listening to rock music and, and hard rock, but I also was exposed to a lot of soul, you know traditional R and B band you know like the oj's the spinners and and that sort of thing yeah so i had that influence my first concert was actually stevie wonder at valley forge and that's just outside of philly and then right after that it was george benson so i kind of have that kind of influence but then i also have like you know the bands i talked about earlier the, the classic rock thing and so with adrian he's got you know he's pretty well versed in blues and 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 uh But as far as the rock stuff, he's into the same kind of rock bands as I am. So we have a nice, you know, uh, common ground, you know, foundation of influences that kind of bring us, you know, to, to the same place, so to speak. I I talked to Adrian and
2: he said, also, he said that his first show, his first like big rock show was, uh, uh, around all the young dudes around that time. So that's a, that's a great, great way to start things off i think
1: yeah absolutely you know i mean sometimes i think i wish that i was uh you know of an earlier generation because i just think that the music that i really connect with and love is you know is of, of that generation you know like the who and sly and the family stone hendrix you know that that era um and so but you know uh it, it all—it is what it is, you know. People get off on these tangents about today's music and this and that, and you know, it just—it's a sign of the times. It goes, you know, with what you know. Technology helps drive, you know, the sound and music. You know, one of the things I always talk about is like, in today's time, you have records being made, and some of them are really great records, but they're being made by people that. Forty years ago, would never even be able to do anything musical. Yes. You, know, cause yes. you know what I'm saying. Now you don't have to, you don't have to learn an instrument um, in order to to do something. You know, to make to make music. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing either, because you get some cool perspectives out there. But you know, you don't necessarily have to sit down and study the guitar or even really learn how to sing. You know, you can fix that too. So <laughs> it's just kind of a, a different a different era, you know.
2: <laughs> it seems like it was more honest, uh, like back in the, if you go back to the fifties and sixties and the seventies and and I guess the eighties as well. That, as you say, that today you can, you can you can have a horrible voice, but you can always fix that in the studio, with the technology you have today, which is quite different from when when people started out and when rock and roll started out.
1: Yeah, and you can, and you know if you're clever, you can make that voice sound cool and interesting. Yeah. you know. So I mean. And so that's why I, I kind of, I can't really knock it. Cause you know, I hear a lot of musicians getting real crazy about, you know, this and that. I don't really care so much, you know, and I guess probably why I don't get too worried. Cause it, you know, I'm pretty happy and, and thankful and grateful that things, you know, are the way they are for me. And, you know, I've only ever done music since I was, you know, a teenager, you know, I never had a, a job outside of playing music and, 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 my goal was to to play and write and record my music, music that I was involved in writing. And so, so at a certain point, it's like I I can't really bitch because things turned out pretty well, you know. Uh, but I can't help but notice, you know, it's it's just a real, it's a different animal now than it was when I was learning how to play the guitar. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: Yep. So so um, you, you and Adrian were jamming in there. How did that how did that merge into you guys writing together?
1: Well, somebody just suggested it, you know, and it was in one of the last times we got together was a couple of years ago, um, you know, at a party and uh just had a blast jamming and then somebody said, Hey, you know what, you guys wanna try and write something. And then, you know, that that stuck in our heads. And then we got, you know, called. I can't remember who called who, or maybe I called them and said, Come over. And uh And then he came over and and we just kind of hung out, you know, drank some tea, talked about music and shared some ideas. And one thing led to another. And then, you know, suddenly now we got a record, but, you know, I I say this when I've been doing a lot of interviews for this and, you know, this has got to be one of the easiest uh, experiences, musical experiences I've ever had. I mean, just real, you know, easy to to, to work with Adrian and you know it's almost like I compare it to a a tennis match but a friendly one where you're just trying to keep a volley going you know he he'd come in with a riff and then I'd say oh I have an idea for a chorus and then if I got stuck he'd have an idea for a bridge and you know just kind of it was just a real smooth process you know the way this went down
0: that's so cool that's cool
2: But, but I'm thinking like as you said that someone suggested it haven't Hadn't you guys thought of that, that you could write something together and come up with something?
1: Well, you know, I'm not real, you know, I'm not real aggressive that way. You know, I mean, I've got a lot of friends that are musicians and and we say things like, yeah, we should get together and write something sometime, you know, and then, you know, you just say that and then it takes somebody just to be proactive to actually pick up the phone and say, hey. What are you doing today? You know what I'm saying? And so uh, I didn't feel it my place to to float that balloon because, you know, who the fuck am I? You know, I mean, <laughs> he might look at me and, and think, you know, what are you out of your mind? I'm Adrian Smith. I don't want to write with you. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I I don't know what he thinks of me that, that way. or I, you know, Now I do, but I mean, back then. So it kind of took someone else to kind of come in that, you know, we both knew and trusted and say, Hey, you know, why don't you guys get together while, while, while you're both in town. So we did it, you know?
2: Well, I mean, how how would you describe Adrian as a guitar player compared to yourself?
1: Well, you know, um, one of the things that I noticed right away in the process was Adrian's sense of counterpoint and melody. And so, and that's not to say that I don't, you know have that kind of veneer either but there were instances when certain songs in my mind were done and and I would say okay well let's you know you know send this off to be mixed or whatever and he'd be like no wait a minute I got this idea give me a second and then he'd sit there and he'd come up with like a, a another line like a, a real slick kind of part that would just fit in with the chords and 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 fit in between my vocal and it would uh take the song to another level now i think that must stem from you know years of working with another guitar player because for me in all my endeavors i've been the only guitar player with the exception of maybe you know uh somebody picking up an acoustic and strumming it but in in general um you know winery dogs or when i'm off on my my, my solo band is a trio, Winery Dogs is a trio, I'm the only guitar player, so um, I noticed that and, and I was, you know, I, I was pretty, you know, impressed by it and I just think that it, it, it elevated the situation, you know, made, made for a better record.
3: Sometimes I feel like a helpless child, alone in the night.
0: do you feel? You know, being growing up and being the only guitar player. How do you feel now having having dual guitar duties?
1: Well, it's cool because it gives you know it takes some of uh, not that I ever felt under pressure because I never did, but you know, it gives me a chance to let somebody else walk the dog for a minute, you know, and uh, I can kind of lay back in the cut, you know, and uh, just play a support role, which uh, you know is nice. It's nice to be able to do that, and. Um, and it's inspiring, you know. Uh it's inspiring to hear him solo. And then, you know, I come in with something else that, that's playing off of what he did, you know, like in the song Scars, yep. uh, his solo ends at a, at an interesting point, at, at a point that's not typical. And so I come in, and if, if you listen to that, you hear me come in even sooner than they showed on the video. I actually come in with him and I his ending line becomes my start line, which leads me to my solo, which I think is a little shorter actually. But it's just it to me, it's a musical section. So it didn't really matter who went first or who's longer, who's shorter. It ma- it mattered how it ended up, you know. And to me, it was a nice statement. So we have this kind of moments where we kind of intertwine uh, the guitars, you know, in, in ways that are not so typical, you know. Yep. Well that's
2: that's my that's my favorite track on the album but also as you mentioned that it, this was this was such an such an easy experience do you do you think that has to do with the fact also that Adrian is older he's he's been in maiden in all these years he's been around the block numerous times so to speak do you think that has something to do with it
1: well i don't know because you know you can have all those accolades that you described and still not uh have the security and the maturity right to do do what we're doing so i don't i don't know about that i I think that it's just you know his nature you know it acting is an interesting thing and when i was young i I spent a lot of time in these workshops you know because i lived in or i still do you know live in la and i i was always interested in in it. So I figured, well, while I'm here, you know, why not? And, you know, one of the things I learned, it's, you know, great actors, they're, they actually react. And so, you know, something happens in a scene and it's how they respond and, and let, especially in improv. And, and music to me is like that, which goes back to like jazz music. And, and I do have a little bit of experience playing with jazz musicians. Like, you know, I was in a band with Stanley Clark, for example, And some of the things I learned is listening. It's such a a major thing that many, and it's very strange, and it's really in in rock where people that play rock have such a hard time uh, as a musician to be able to not play and just listen to what the other guy's doing, play a support role. And then when it's time to say something, say something that actually is in context with the conversation, you know? Um, and so in rock and metal, it's, it's very rare where you have that kind of, um, that kind of conversation element as you find in, in jazz or like I said, in great improv, if you're an actor and stuff like that. So um, Adrian instinctively um, has that. Now, I don't know why, if it is because of, you know, the playing in Maiden, if it's not from playing in Maiden, I just think it's part of his DNA regardless, you know, and, you know, and However you get there, all these things that happen to you are part of it. You know, so certainly playing in that band is part of it. But um, he just has the ability uh, to to listen and respond. And, you know, and it's consistent with 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 me and and my tastes. So it just works. You know, somehow it works. Well, you, you mentioned Stanley
2: Clark. I mean, what's it like playing with a guy like that and that style
1: of music? Well, uh, you know, it's funny you mention that because he and I started talking again and uh, we're, we're messing around with some ideas, actually. So oh. who, knows, who knows what that will be 20 years later after the fact. It could be kind of cool. Easy. So we'll see. Nobody knows that's the first time I said it, I think. So <laughs> you got something for your something different for your your interview. But, you know, that was a, a, a funny experience for me. Uh, very surreal. I had a manager that worked with me, and we had a lot of success in my earlier years. He got me signed to Warner Brothers Publishing. He got me signed to Geffen back in the day. And he was a, he was a cool guy, good guy, East Coast guy. And so he and I just parted ways because we felt like we took it as far as we could. And then one day out of the blue, he calls me and says, hey, he said, I'm managing a new supergroup with Stanley Clark, Lenny White, <sighs> Alan Holdsworth was in the band and Alan just left. Right. And they need a guitar player. And I started laughing. I'm like, why are you calling me? And he said, Well, I'm calling you because you did a, a fusion record and I played it for Stanley over the phone. And he said, Bring him down. And I said, You got to be kidding me. So I went down to third encore in North Hollywood and uh walked in there, and Karen Briggs was there with the with her violin, who to this day is the greatest soloist I've ever worked with. I mean, she's just unbelievable. And so, uh, you know, they were in there and uh, he put a a chart in front of me with uh, sheet music. And he said, okay, take a look at this. This is what we're gonna play. And I started laughing and he said, what are you (laughs) laughing at? I said, Stanley, I said, I haven't read sheet music since I was 15. I said, this is going to be a disaster here. And he goes, all right, so I'll show you the song. So he sat down behind the the keyboard and he played the chord change. He said, write these down. However you notate chords, write these down. So I wrote the chords down. But here's the melody. And it it wasn't like it was something slick. It was like some kind of thing where like, the harmony was changing, so like you know, you couldn't just, you weren't just playing in A minor. You know, you had it's all you're in A minor, then suddenly now you're in a different key, and then you're back to A minor. You know, it's like it's it's not typical stuff. You know, so and so, I, you know, I just I said to myself, man, I just use the force. You got to try and play through this. <laughs> and so we played for like two hours, and um, at the end of it, I looked at him and Lenny White. Karen and the, there was a keyboard player there that was filling in because I can't remember his name. He was not in the band uh, ultimately, but I said to the, them, I said, well, I said, uh, I know that you know this is probably not going to happen. I'm probably not your guy, but this was an honor to spend the afternoon here with you. And so that night I went out. I went. I went to, to the. I for some reason I remember going to see Kiss that night. They had a big concert out here. Oh. And I came home and I had an answering machine uh, and, and, and I was old school. I didn't even have a cell phone. I had an answering machine tape, you know, with a tape thing in there. Yeah. And uh, I see a light flashing. So I listened back and it's the manager and he says, they, they fucking love you. <laughs> They're starting rehearsals on Monday. Get ready. we we're, we we're, got a deal on Sony. I mean, it was, you know, it was all, you know, all big doings, you know. And so uh, that was it. And and I was in a real downside. um, uh Uh-oh, did I lose you? No. No, no. no. My my computer did something weird. I was in a real downside uh, era, you know, because the 90s were rough. You know, the late 90s, when I lost my deal with Geffen, those couple of years there up until Stanley, I was having a hard time because the labels didn't want to fuck with anybody that had any affiliation with the 80s and so it was really tough for a lot of guys including myself and then I got that you know I joined the band with Stanley and then things started to turn around for me so that that was a, a nice turning point.
2: Were you ever a fan or have you ever seen uh I love uh Lee Rittenauer
1: Lee uh, you know I don't have I didn't have any of his records I had some of Al's records uh and I had uh, Alan's records I listened to a lot of Holdsworth um, and the reason I got into Holdsworth because I read an interview Eddie van Halen was talking yes. about Alan so then I got yep. into Alan and then I was real into the Dixie dregs uh Steve Morse wasn't right. Influence. I used to try to figure out his guitar solos and um, who else? Well, it was pretty much Alan, Steve Morse, and Eddie Van Halen. Stevie Ray Vaughan was in the mix for me back then. And then I got into Steve Vai when that flex, when I got, when I found out about flexible and when I saw the, the video of Yankee Rose, I, I, that blew my mind. And I was all about Steve Vai. Um, so those and George Benson was a big one for me because that was one of my first concerts. So I, from the beginning, I was just, you know, you know, I love George. And I, I still think to this day when I listen to some of his you know stuff, I think he might be the best guitar player that ever lived. I mean, just the, his ability just to improvise a solo through the, through changes and just have a a feel and a tone and a vibrato and just fluid. You know, it just feels like he's just connected with his heart and soul. And some of the, some guys, they play great, but it sounds like a lot of what they're doing is rehearsed and it's kind of patterns. You can kind of hear the pattern, you know, I, I don't, I'm not real into that. I, I like a guy that just kind of goes off and it just feels like he's just, you know, he don't even know what he's doing, but it's working. You know what I mean? I mean, and of course they know what they're doing, but yeah, George, George for me just has that. You know, uh, he's just great live. Forget about it. You know, forget about it. Cool,
2: cool. Hey, um. Also, uh, the first track you and Adrian wrote was "Running," right?
1: That's what I remember. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How did that come about? And how did you work that song? Yeah, Adrian had that riff. You know, tuned down that real low. You know, and I don't do a whole lot of things like that. I did some stuff like that years ago on a record I got called "Get Up," or some some of that kind of real low tuning. But he had he had the guitar tuned low, excuse me, and he came in with that riff, and uh, you know, I figured out what he was doing, kind of playing along with him, and we thought, well, let's do a melody here that follows the the riff, see what we can come up with, and then I I, I had the idea for that chorus. You know, so it just kind of fell together. And that's how a lot of the record came about. You know, Adrian would come in with a riff and then I'd hear another section, be it a pre-chorus or a chorus. Uh, And then sometimes the other way around, you know, uh, Adrian would have a chorus idea and then I'd come up with a different section. But um, running was specifically, I remember uh, making a drum loop for it. I remember getting behind the drums, doing something and then looping it. And then uh, we built the track up. And then I went back in and played drums to it again. See, one of the keys uh, to how this works, when I record, um, everything is up and miked and and ready to go at all times. So, like, it's never, we don't put the drums up and do drums for a week and then strike the drums and take them away. Drums go up, we get tone, and they stay up until the record's mastered. And so, uh, same thing with the bass signal chain, the guitar's. So what that enables me to do, and this comes from me working alone. That's why a lot of these records, you know, a lot of my solo records, I end up being the only guy because what will happen is, is I'll I'll have an idea and I'll develop it. And then a week later, I'll realize I don't like the drum fill going into the final chorus. I got to fix that so I can go back, you know, as long as the drum tuning is relatively close, I can punch it in, you know, and fix it. So, and this is kind of like round robin, I guess you'd call it technique. And so on this record, you know, similar, you know, uh, we had everything up all the time. And then of course, you know, we had a couple of songs, you know, where my buddy Tal played drums and then Nico played drums on a song, which, would, which just came out great. I mean, he just took it to another level as far as I'm concerned. So, but that was the general approach, you know, on the recording.
3: Take me by the hand
2: recorded this in, in Turks and Caicos, uh, which, uh, from pictures, I've never been there. It looks like paradise. Um, but what was the reason for that? I know that Adrian has a, he's been there a lot and you, you'd never been there as I remember it, but
1: what was the reason for recording down there? Well, you know, um, Adrian suggested it. Um, he, uh, he uh, had gone down there many times before. I'd never been there. Um, it worked out really well, to be honest. I was in Miami uh, playing and uh, with my wife. So after I was done in Florida, uh, we just flew down there and met up. But I got to tell you, the first couple days, you know, I didn't want nothing to do with playing, recording, <laughs> singing. As I, you know, I was on the beach, you know, drinking uh, whatever we were drinking down there, and you know, swimming around. And then finally, and after a while, it's like, all right, you know, I'm tired of looking at this. Let's 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 go do something. <laughs> and so, you know, we got into a routine and get up in the morning. You know, he likes to fish, so he would do his fishing. And right. I was press for my record. I had just put out fifty for fifty. So I had press to do. And then I'd wrap that up around twelve or one. We'd go record and uh we didn't spend too much time in the studio, you know, six, seven hours at the most, and then go eat, you know, and then start it over the next day. So real smooth process, great place to be, you know, and uh, yeah, it was awesome. Isn't that like a celebrity hotspot, Turks and Caicos? Yeah, we, we walked by. Um, I mean, people could have been just saying whatever they want to say, but we, we met up with a couple one guy had a house down there and we we're walking on the beach and he said, that's where Keith Richards has a place. So we walked right. by Keith's house and, uh, um, and, uh, and a couple other people down there about, you know, I, you know, people tell you that's this guy's house. This is that guy's house, but who knows what's what and, you know, none of my business, but yeah, I guess there are you know, a lot of celebs that go down there. Right.
0: That's great. Yeah. Darren. Um, Scars. Um, we we talked quickly about scars. Nicholas' favorite song. I think it's my favorite song on the record. And and you talked about that guitar. You know, you guys going from Adrian's lead into yours. Is there any other really standout things on this album that really rocked your boat? You know, something.
1: something uh, yeah, special? I mean, yeah, there are. I, and your know, scars is one. I, when when the minute that happened, I was thinking, this is this is something special. And I, that's exactly the thought I had. because that was right after running. And then I thought, you know, we might be on to something here. You know, this is worth, this is worth the investment you know, that we're putting in. And, um, you know, uh, there's other songs on there. I'm just thinking of the titles. There's a song on there called I Want to Stay that, that drove me insane because that melody in the chorus, when that comes in, uh, that, that melody there was in my head for the entire time. I was, uh, I was down there. And and what was making me crazy is that I, I didn't know what I wanted to sing lyrically. And I even actually used that. Oh, she made me crazy because the lyric the, the melody was making me crazy. So I found a way to incorporate the word crazy. Um, but that, that happens, you know, you get a melody, you wake up with it, you fall asleep with it. And you think, well, this thing needs to be written. And it's always the lyric is that's the thing, you know, that, that might slow you down. And, What people don't realize, they they talk about Adrian and I together and guitars and how do you decide this guitar, that guitar, but the reality is for the kind of music that we like, the kind of music that we write, the most important thing is the song. And so in this instance, the song is revolving around the melody and the lyric. And that is what uh, all the energy goes into. Because once you have a melody, now you're on your way. Once you have a lyric, then you have a song. And then you can do all the other fun stuff, figure out a riff or, you know, do I play a Les Paul here? Do I want to use my Strat? All that stuff comes after the fact. But you know, that melody, once that melody gets married up with a lyric uh, and it's something that you can build a story around, then you're in business. (laughs)
2: Do, do you have like do you have like one guitar that is your pride and
1: joy? Well, you know it's a weird thing with me. I've got eight guitars, electric guitars that'll never leave the house. And these are my first Fender guitars that were made for me by Larry Brooks when he was there. They're what you call master built. That means one guy built a guitar from the beginning to the end. Right. And uh I won't leave, uh, they, they won't leave the house. Now they have in the past. I've had them all over the place. One of them was in Japan with me, actually two of them. Uh, and then one of them, uh, I toured around the States with it. But now they don't leave. And so what I have is I have a Japanese-made Telecaster that is a replica of one of those master builds that became my signature model guitar. So that that brown Telecaster you see me with, that's my signature model, Richie Cotson Fender guitar. Right off the you can buy that right off the rack. The only thing I do to it is I sand a little bit of the finish off the neck. And the old days I'd add a drop D tuner to it, but now I wouldn't even do that because I don't really use that so much. Um, but that's my
0: guitar. That's the one in the picture in, in the in a sleeve, right? That's the one you
1: always see me with. And, and it, I've had it now for, I don't know, that particular one has been my main guitar for 10 or 11 years. And it's got a weird mark on the first fret. That's how you can identify it. And what happened was I thought there was a crack there and I sanded a little bit and I realized that there was not a crack And when I did that, I sanded off whatever finish they had there. So now there's like a weird mark. It almost looks like a position marker. And people ask me, why is that mark there? I said, well, uh, G sharp is my favorite note. I just lay on that G sharp (laughs) as much as I can. People look like they believe me. But that, that guitar is like my main one. And then uh, and I have another duplicate of that as a backup that I use in pictures sometimes. So those are the two. And then I have a white Strat and a red Strat, and they're both signature model guitars that are replicas of the original uh, Custom Shop Strat they made for me in 1992. So I have two signature model guitars with Fender, one Stratocaster and one Telecaster.
0: Um, we're just about out of time. So uh, last question. Um, yeah, we're in a bit of a shitty time, you know, so it's it's tough to answer this, but um, are you looking forward to getting out and playing this live?
3: Yeah, I
1: am. You know, and, and the, the plan all along, you know, uh, we were planning on releasing it when we we're releasing it in March 2021. Yep. We were also planning on touring it in April, you know, but obviously now we can't uh But, as soon as we can get out there we're we're gonna do it now you know we gotta figure out scheduling uh you know Adrian had tons of dates with iron maiden they're they're gonna have to you know figure those out and, and then I had a bunch of i had four continents booked uh with my solo group to support my last record fifty for fifty which came out last year um but you know uh i i wanna I'm ready to go I, I wanna do this you know for real, get on stage, play it live. I'm not so keen on the, on the, you know, film yourself and post it on the internet thing. You know, I'd rather wait, you know, a little while long. We waited a year now. Let's wait a little while longer and just get out there and do it, you know, in front of people. That's what I'd like to do. So we'll see, you know, we'll see what comes together here.
0: Thanks for your time, Richie. Pleasure talking to you, man. And, My pleasure. Um, Thank you. Love, love the record, man. Really, really well done. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, have a good one and
1: I'll talk to you later. All right, you too. Thank you, man. Bye-bye.